With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Well, spots. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Right. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Tuesday, and I've got a question for you just to start the day off right. If you got busted for having 50 pounds of fentanyl, should you be able to walk free without even talking to a judge? Well, guess what? It happened. It happened in Multnomah County, which frankly doesn't surprise a lot of us who watch the crazy so-called justice system in Multnomah County because Multnomah County has decided to let criminals just walk free. Except this guy is now wanted on a warrant. The only problem is they released him from custody knowing what he was accused of doing. 50 pounds of fentanyl that translates to 11 million doses of fentanyl. Cut that in half and double it up. And you're probably talking about enough drugs to kill about five or six million people, uh, if they were, if all that, uh, all those drugs were properly distributed, uh, in a killing way. So imagine this, a justice system, a police system that just has the governor of the state of Oregon declaring a fentanyl emergency for 90 days. And then you have a system that actually catches a guy with 52 pounds of the stuff, some of the most potent stuff out there, and he simply walks out of custody and now they're searching for him again so they can waste even more resources on that. Let me get into the details of that crazy story in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. Almost 24 years now of serving the Pacific Northwest states, Idaho, Washington and Oregon with honestly provocative talk. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, that is, you disagree, maybe you think that fentanyl dealers caught with 52 pounds should be able to walk free, well, then be a naysayer. You'll be put right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But before I get into the details of the 52 pounds of fentanyl, the 11 million doses, and the guy accused of being the mastermind behind it all, he was caught with the drugs, red-handed, uh, and now he's walking free. Let me 
give you other craziness from north of the Columbia River. Should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24? It is not currently mandatory if, in fact, if you're 18, you don't have to take driver's ed in Washington State. And most of the schools have stopped offering driver's ed. And by the way, if you want to go out and buy driver's ed on the open marketplace right now, it's 500 to $600. It's about 30 hours of classroom time. It's another six hours of supervised drive time. So there are some considerable costs that go along with it. But the Washington State Traffic Safety Commission says the majority of drivers involved in fatal crashes in the state of Washington are 21 to 25 years of age. And they found the drivers that age who didn't take driver's ed had about a 70% higher rate of crashes where somebody gets seriously hurt or even killed. So they're recommending we should make it mandatory. And boy, does this sound interesting. And yet not a single one of the stories I could find about the Traffic Safety Commission's recommendation explains this. What happens if you're already, say, 22 years old? And let's say you got your driver's license when you were 16 years of age and you've been driving for the last six years does the mandatory driver's head apply to you? I suspect they won't make it work that way, which means they'll probably start applying it to brand new drivers who are getting their driver's licenses at 16. And because most of the schools are not offering it, that is going to dramatically increase the cost of being a new driver. And by the way, I can remember studying hard for my test, getting my driver's license on my 16th birthday. Now, there are a lot of millennials who push this off. Uh, in fact, I knew in the last couple of years, I knew a young man who was almost 30 years of age who still didn't have a driver's license. Now, do I think that's foolish? It is foolish. A driver's license is an incredible tool. It's a tool not just for personal freedom. It's a, pool, a tool for economic freedom. I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, Hey, I've got a great job for you. You can go to work for this guy. He's paying well. It's a great place to work. Oh, where's the job? Well, it's about 12 miles from where you live. No, can't do it. Transit won't get me there. Well, just drive out there in your car. Now, I'm 25 years old. I never got a driver's license. Well, what if you're 23 years old and the state imposes mandatory driver's ed to get a license and finally at the ripe old age of 23 you say, hey, maybe I should go get my driver's license and then they tell you, well, you're going to need to do 30 hours of classwork, six hours of supervised training and you're going to have to come up with five or six hundred dollars along with all the other costs of buying a car, insuring a car, registering and licensing a car and of course, Jay Inslee's crazy gasoline tax that, along with the carbon tax, has pushed the price up to some of the highest gas prices anywhere in America. It seems that government is finding every way it can to make sure that as few people get driver's licenses as possible. Now, they're doing it in, in the guise of saying, we're going to make you safer by having you take this course. It probably will make drivers safer if they take driver's safety. Uh, the numbers seem to suggest that. But simply saying to young men and women, well, we're going to give you one more reason not to do it, doesn't seem all that smart. Anyway, if you want to join in, it's 866-439-5277. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll, should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24, six years after the age of majority? I would say no to that. Do I think it's a good idea? Yes. Do I want to make it mandatory at the state level? No.
Today's Twitter poll or X poll is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now back to this guy, Luis Funes. And I know you're probably all wondering, is he an illegal alien? No way to find out. We could find out if he was actually in the custody of uh, the sheriff's department or the police department in Multnomah County. Unfortunately, the guy was busted. He's an alleged fentanyl trafficker. And less than 24 hours after he was arrested with 11 million doses of fentanyl, he walks out of custody. Why? Because the judge issued a warrant for his arrest about, well, less than 24 hours after he'd been arrested, but he walked out of custody. Now, Willamette Week broke the story uh, over the weekend. He had been released from jail last Thursday, and he was told to show up in court. Now, i got to ask you something. You're, uh, you're a young man. You've just been caught with 52 pounds of fentanyl, and they let you out of custody without any charges. Are you going to stick around? Are you going to show up in court the next day? You know the answer to that. And if it happens that Mr. Funes, if he is from another country, let's say Mexico or Honduras or some other country, he's got all the reason in the world to flee. Why would he stick around for that? So he was released from jail later in the day after he was arrested. And then when he was told to show up, didn't show up. Why does Multnomah County even bother to try? I mean, are you kidding me? The cops and the, the jailers who, are, who released him likely looked at him and thought, if I was looking down the barrel of major league drug charges involving 11 million doses of fentanyl, would you stick around? They knew as he walked out the door, he was not going to show up again. There's no point to it. He's going to go off and probably get another load of fentanyl and bring it back. And sadly, some of your kids are going to die when they take it, because that's the bottom line truth. It is a Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Gun Control Explained. Want to stop drunk drivers from killing sober drivers? Ban sober drivers. That's how gun control works. This is the Lars Larson Show. 
makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the Daily Dead, Fish Rapper, or mainstream media bias. So guess what happens when political correctness and affirmative action come first and your child's education comes second? You know what happens? Guadalupe Guerrero. Double G just announced he's leaving the Portland Public Schools after six and a half years as superintendent. Total salary over that time, more than $2 million, and the schools are worse off than, the, than ever before. And yet nearly every news story mentions he's the first Latino superintendent to lead the district. Does anybody really give a damn what his ethnicity, skin color, gender, or preferred pronoun are? Where did he actually lead the schools? Well, the school board had told him as recently as a year ago, you've got to get reading scores up for third graders and especially for the minority kids who are far behind. Instead, under Guadalupe Guerrero, it got worse. The pandemic also put kids behind, and GG didn't have a plan to make up for those losses. And then the recent strike, a record strike by teachers, with a final salary deal, one the district already admits it doesn't have the money to pay. That means cuts are coming and even more failure for your kids. But by then, Double G will be gone. This failed public employee leaves not with a pink slip, but with glowing accolades and a public employee PERS pension that will be based on his salary of $341,000 a year. Portland got the virtue signaling that it wanted, and your kids get to pay the bill with what they didn't learn. Guadalupe Guerrero, as far as I'm concerned, good riddance. And our question of the day, and I've left the name off out of a courtesy to the person who wrote, because I understand the problem. I mean, I, I went back to I went to the University of Oregon a long, long time ago, only stayed a year and a half. The uh, liberal indoctrination did not take hold. Thank God. And this gentleman wrote to me and he said, Lars, I was writing to you in regards to a class that is a requirement in order to get my degree. First of all, I plan to hopefully attend medical school in order to be a radiologist. However, I am forced against my will to study equity and justice, a form of critical race theory which has absolutely nothing to do with my future career, and I don't believe in critical race theory as the simply the mindset of victimization. Not only that, he writes, the professor who teaches the class happens to be a six-foot, five-inch man dressed as a woman who blatantly and silently judges anybody who happens to have a somewhat conservative mindset. He recently accused me of cheating on an assignment using AI to better formulate my responses, but I can't find a way of pleasing this professor as it's either come up with what he wants to hear, which I absolutely can't write myself, as it's sickening to be forced to an agenda of blatant liberal propaganda, so be forced to use an assistance tool just to pass and tell him my true ideals. In exchange, he reports me to the dean as racist, fascist, or whatever the these liberals come up with. I'm being forced to meet with the school board on January 24th to appeal my case, but at this point, I want to come clean and state I used AI, but simply because the narrative they're pushing on hard-paying students is so disgusting and doesn't promote free thinking. And now, today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now.
I want to explain something here. A lot of you might think I hate electric cars, battery cars. I don't hate them. I, I like any kind of technology when it's ready for prime time. E-vehicles are not. And let me give you a couple of data points so that you'll see the latest evidence that that's true. Today's Daily Grill is going to the elected elites at state and federal levels who are pushing mandatory battery cars. They're going to force you to buy them that are currently not selling to the public. Number one, Ford has announced it is con is cutting production of its F-150 Lightning EV pickup truck in the in the first half of next year. That's from CNBC. The company is facing cooling EV demand. I would call it frozen and near new competition from Elon Musk's bulletproof Cybertruck. Its production cut is the latest sign that the auto giants are pumping the brakes on EVs. I mean, they dare not. I guess, stand up against the Biden administration because the Biden administration says we're going to force this stuff on people whether you like it or not. But Ford is cutting production of its F-150 Lightning pickup truck, which you'd think would be one of their signature vehicles. They are planning, instead of the 3,200 trucks they're producing a week right now, they're cutting that to 1,600. They are facing stuttering demand, according to uh, one of the car trade journals, for EVs and growing competition from the Cybertruck. And a memo obtained by Automotive News says the cuts were a result of a changing market demand. I think it's more like a lack of, of, of market demand at all. Second data point, the Biden administration has been holding up an EV charging company, ChargePoint, to support the president's climate agenda. Well, now the company has big trouble, big legal trouble, big economic trouble. In February, the White House highlighted ChargePoint's deals with other companies as proof of the administration's actions on EV have spurred network operators to accelerate the build-out of coast-to-coast -coast EV charging networks. But... In the nearly 10 months since, the company's stock price has cratered, lost significant value, and ChargePoint CEO Pasquale Romano has now stepped down, and the company is facing a class action lawsuit. That tells you where EV is going right now. Our best email of the day, but you can always send more, to talk at LarsLarson.com. It comes from Greg in Malat, Washington. He says, Jay Inslee, that lying coward has to drag kids out to attempt to defend his carbon tax and his forest fires. Like I just emailed him, there is nothing Jay and his party have done to make life better in Washington. In fact, it's been a downhill slide since Governor Dan Evans signed Greg in Malat, Washington. Glad to get your emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to jump in, it's 866-439-5277. Let's go to uh, David Cross. Hey, David Cross, David is the man who keeps track of illegal aliens for us. And, David, you've got some more info on the guy found with 52 pounds of fentanyl, 11 million doses. What's the latest? Lars, he already had been charged with other drug crimes in January of this year and was at a warrant on that case. So I just, I looked up and spent a lot of time looking up this individual, but he only had two charges, that one in January for drug trafficking, and then the most recent one where they let him go. It's unclear why they let him go. And when I try to look up the immigration status, if unless they're incarcerated in a jail where I can get enough information like birth dates and things like that, I can't very really easily submit it to ICE because sometimes these people are using false names. And I think you've known that as a reporter for yep. a long time. You've reported on crime. So it makes it a challenge. But this guy not only was released this time, but he, he had had prior charges and had a warrant on that other case. Do you know what that tells me? 
It tells me that even though Governor Kotek and even though the DA, Mike Schmidt Show, who I hope gets unelected to the next election and is beat by his competition, um, they, they don't give a damn that people's kids and, and adults as well, but people's kids are dying from fentanyl. So when a massive amount of fentanyl flows in, it's the reason that people can buy uh, fake oxy pills that actually have fentanyl in them for about a dollar a piece, which makes it a cheap and easy high and sometimes a deadly high. They don't give a damn that your kids are dying. They, they don't give a damn about the, the violent drug uh, uh, dealing business that's going on. They're just going to let it happen, and people are going to die. And you got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And yeah, I took a couple of days off to spend some more time with my granddaughter, Payson. We had a great time. With, by the way, a shout out to the, our friends down at the uh, uh, Air and Space Museum, Dell Smith's Museum, that he named after his son down in uh, McMinnville. They have both uh, a space section. It is gigantic. They have the aviation section. And yes, I have pictures of my granddaughter sitting in Howard Hughes' seat uh, on board the... Uh, the Spruce Goose, and yes, we paid our own way to that. I was happy to do it, and for all the docents down there, who most of whom are vets, uh, thanks to them for what they do as well. Let me welcome back our friend Josh Markey, world traveler and former district attorney of uh, Clatsop County. Josh, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on, Lars. I want to ask you about this. Uh, I call it a crazy plan, and here's why. Governor Tina Kotek said she's going to fix Portland because clearly the city council of Portland, the mayor of Portland can't do it. So she's going to do or won't do it. So she has this secret plan. And I say secret because she called on the guy who heads the standard, who won't even talk on the air and says, we're going to have secret meetings. We're going to meet behind closed doors out of public view. And we're going to come up with this amazing plan to address mostly the drug and crime problems of the city. And they come up with something that could have been written by a couple of sophomores in a local high school there's almost nothing to it and much of it is kind of laughable and i wanted your take on on what she's actually proposed well sort of where to start i mean i i, I read a lot of this and a lot of it reminds me of the soviet union uh in the era before the the gorbachev gave them some sense and we would you know the, the soviet union would announce they have a new great plan special plan 17 points going to fix all the problems and that's sort of what this sounds like. It sounds very Soviet that, you know, our glorious leaders who, of course, cannot tell us the, you know, the details because we're just, you know, the plebes um, are, are going to fix it. Now, what's even more absurd, of course, is that Tina Kotek, when she was Speaker of the House and arguably a more important political figure than then Governor Brown, was part of hatching Measure 110, which Probably along with the election of Mike Schmidt as district attorney in Multnomah County, those two things have done more to destroy the quality of life in Portland, increase overdoses, reduce police coverage, um, and, and really brought Oregon to its knees in many ways. And, and, and none of this gives me any pleasure. I love Oregon. I love Portland, even though I've never lived there. And I don't know if you'd had a chance to talk about the survey that the Portland Police 
Association just rolled out. Maybe the the one that says ago. a majority of Portlanders plan to leave the city as soon as they can. A majority. Well, it says I'm actually looking at it. it says 56 percent. If they, this is the way the question is framed. If you could afford it professionally and personally, would you consider leaving Portland to go elsewhere? 56 percent say yes. 32 percent say no. 68 percent say uh, that Portland is losing what made it special. Um, and it just, you know, over the last few years, would you say the amount of crime has increased? 78% say it's increased. Um, 71% say we need more police officers. I mean, there's no way to spend this. Um, this is this is taken from Portland residents, mind you, not yep. the state at large. And, and Tina Kotek, until she sold her house that she and her partner owned, they were residents of Portland. Now she lives in the governor's mansion in Salem. With, by the way, backup power powered by fossil fuels that apparently she has no problem with because she has a natural gas generator. So when the lights go out, don't worry, Tina Kotek will still have power at her house. Let me ask you about some of the specifics, though. She wants the legislature to ban public drug use. She doesn't want to make the drugs illegal again. She just says, don't use them where people can see you using them. And as soon as I read that, I thought Josh is going to tell me whether or not that could even work. So. Two cops, you and I are walking down the street, we're police officers, we see somebody shooting heroin into his arm or, or cooking uh, methamphetamine uh, on a piece of tinfoil. What are we allowed to do, given that we can't on the spot identify what it is anyway? Could you actually stop somebody from public drug use? Is there any kind of law that you could write that would say you can still have the drugs, you just can't consume them in public? Well, I'm, I'm a lawyer, so I can be devil's advocate. In theory, you could construct a law similar to alcohol. It is legal to possess alcohol as long as you're over 21 in Oregon. It is not legal to consume it in public. And at least... Uh, you but know, you have to be able time. to identify it. If you walk up on some... And let me cut to the chase. You walk right, on and some... Right, uh, I'm drinking 7-Up, not vodka. No, and, and you say, I've got, I've got this, uh, you know, uh, my, my Yeti cup. You know, and you say, well, what's in that Yeti cup? I don't have to tell you. Uh, I'll tell you that it's 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 some liberal Kool-Aid I'm drinking to try and, you know, understand the Portland mindset. And and if he says, well, I think there's alcohol in there, you think whatever you want. But what are you going to be able that's how it would apply to alcohol, wouldn't it? No. And that's that's precisely the problem with all these halfway measures. OK, measure 110, which let's not forget about it. Uh, Tina Kotek, as the Speaker of the House and Kate Brown and the entire Democratic leadership was 100 percent behind that. For all I know, they still are, because the simplest thing in the world would have been for Kotek to, or Brown to have asked the legislature to simply re-refer it to the voters. That requires absolutely no horsepower. They could even dodge taking responsibility. We know what the polls say. 67% of Oregonians would not vote the same way, and 54% of Oregonians would vote to completely repeal it. Here's the problem. Measure 110 has been called by a lot of the mainstream media decriminalization. It goes farther, much farther than that. It essentially forbids any governmental intervention in, in, in drug use. It doesn't just mean the cops can't arrest you. It means the cops can't even approach you and say, sir, what is in that syringe you're slamming into your arm? Well, they, they could uh, ask you, but you don't have to tell them. And I've, I've called it de facto no, legalization. When something is still officially illegal, but there's no enforcement, and there's there's no way to actually go after a person for it. You, you've you've effectively made it legal. 
Well, yes, but the other part is they, what they did is they classified possession of, you know, essentially up to fifty or seventy dollars worth of heroin, uh, methamphetamine, oxycodone, a bunch of other drugs to be what they call class E infractions, meaning less serious than having a dirty license plate. Well, the significance of that is a police officer can approach and question and have mere conversation if they can articulate some reason to think they have a reason that a crime might be committed. Police, at some level, don't even have the right to stop people and engage in conversation. Lawsuits can and will be brought. So this wasn't just an attempt to, to take, you know, not send people to prison for their drug use, because we haven't done that in Oregon since the 1970s. It was an intent to totally cripple law enforcement. And let's also be clear, there is no place in the world that has ever tried anything this stupid. And in okay, Georgia, Josh, let me ask you about something. The other pieces of this are things like she wants a command center set up. She wants the state, the county, and the city to have a 90-day fentanyl emergency, whatever that means. I mean, there's no definite. Well, what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> we're in an emergency. And then you say, and we're going to have a command center set up where information can flow in and quickly be dispatched. Hey, I see a guy shooting heroin, and he told me it was heroin. What action is going to be taken with this, you know, command center with screens on the walls and mobile communication and people there representing every law enforcement agency in the world? What will they be able to do with this command center? Nothing. It sounds like it's being Nothing. done for optics. It's called a Potemkin village, which, for historical reference, the Tsar of Russia before the Great Revolution of 1917 would, would, would drive a go around in his train and he'd live. Russia was falling apart and they would they would build the people would build what they called Potemkin villages, meaning false villages that looked like they were very prosperous. In other words, it was sort of the emperor's it's it's all just looking for for optics. That is Josh Marquis, the former DA of Clatsop County. I'd be glad to talk to Mike Schmidt show. You know the guy who's deciding not to charge people quickly. Yeah. It's Tuesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network and you've got the Lawrence Larson show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. He may talk about serious issues, but even Lars has a sense of humor. I have a joke for you. The government in this town is excellent and uses your tax dollars efficiently. <laughs> this is the Lars Larson Show.
Connor got indicted the other day. Joe responded in the usual way with weak denials and outright lies. Their corruption Joe cannot disguise. You see, from a young age, little Hunter knew. He said, Dad, I'm a crook like you, Pop. I'm a big crook like you. Hunter was born with a silver spoon. Up until now, he has been immune. Nine more indictments could do him in. Or will he skate again? Hope he doesn't skate again. He didn't pay his income tax. Tax evasion is what he chose. The money went up his nose. It went straight up his nose. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our parody guy, the great Jim Gossett. And of course, about those new charges against Hunter Biden. And if you say, Lars, he's already facing three felony gun charges. What more now? Well, last week, it broke fairly late in the week. I think they were trying to bury it as much as they possibly could. Although, burying a story about the income tax fraud of $1.4 million by Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden, the guy Joe Biden has described as the smartest man he knows. Well, if you make millions of dollars and you don't pay your income taxes, you're not the smartest guy around. But in any case, uh, what they've had to do, and I read my uh, friend, Andy McCarthy, he's a former prosecutor at the federal level. He wrote a piece on it in which he said, this was an amazing indictment, an indictment that describes Hunter Biden not paying his taxes on millions of dollars he made, except there, the indictment doesn't go into, well, where exactly did he make this money? Well, we know that he made it in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, in Moscow, and in Beijing. But they don't want to mention that because that would create another set of problems in which Hunter Biden should have registered as a foreign agent lobbying on behalf of foreign governments or foreign companies. He didn't do that. It also doesn't explain, well, where did all that money go? If it didn't get paid to the IRS, where did the money go? Some of it did go up Hunter Biden's nose. Some of it went to, for prostitutes and others, you know, really sleazy stuff that Hunter Biden was involved in. But some of it went to Papa Joe, you know, the big guy. And, of course, the indictment can't mention that. The Biden family has enjoyed the kind of protection from the Department of Justice, both when Joe Biden was vice president, when he was not vice president, and now he's still getting protection from the DOJ. It's the kind of protection any mob boss could only dream of getting, and yet he's getting it. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Before I go to your calls, I want to mention a story that we brought up. It was almost two years ago. This uh, family living in Bellevue, we're living in a very nice home, and then one day the entire home slid down a hill and crashed into a home at the bottom of the hill. I remember talking not just to the family but to their lawyer as well because the family complained that the city was trying to blame them for it. They said, this is clearly all your fault. Well, it turns out it's not. It's the fault of the city of Bellevue because the city of Bellevue bought a utility company that provided water service and other utilities and apparently the folks who put the pipe together, well, here's the way their lawyer describes it. They had loosely put one end of one pipe into another pipe, and over time they separated. So the water came out, liquefied the hillside, caused the landslide, and destroyed their home. The cutting corners, he says, if you will, was by the engineers who designed it and did not design it with secure joints. So 
they finally get paid. Five million bucks they're going to get paid. Three million from the city of Bellevue. Two million dollars from the school district, uh, uh, Bellevue Private School, I should say, not a public school. Uh, so in any case, they've settled that up. The family finally gets paid. But at the time that the house slid down the hill, I remember the city of Bellevue demanding that the family do something about all this wreckage that had come from their home, rather than stepping up and doing the right thing, which I, I think is kind of sad. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. Our Twitter poll or X poll today, should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24? The Washington State Traffic Safety Commission wants to have mandatory driver's ed for those under the age of 24. What they have not explained is, does this only apply to people who don't currently have driver's licenses, or could it end up applying to those above the age of 18, but below the age of 24, who already have a driver's license, and now may be told, we don't know what the details are because not one of the stories covers this, will people who already have been driving for years on the roads be required to go back and get driver's ed training at a cost of 500 to $600 and a considerable amount of time? Nobody really knows at this point. Let's go to Steve and Tuckwilla, listening on the Radio Northwest Network and our affiliate KVI. Steve, what's on your mind? Yeah, you, you made a comment about this guy that just got, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, about this guy that just got busted with all the fentanyl. Yep. Um, about him going to go pick up some more. I think that guy is hiding from the whole world right now. I don't know how much it was in street value. But 11 million or 52 pounds is a lot of money. 11 million lost. doses. Figure at least a dollar a dose on the as street value. Yeah, whoever supplied him with the 52 pounds of fentanyl, I'm willing to bet he didn't front the 10 or 11 million dollars to buy it up front. I have a feeling that his suppliers are probably not very happy with him. On the other hand, if he goes back and says, look, I'll do two or three loads and I'll make it up to you. I don't know what's going to happen, but that guy is in big trouble. The only place he's not in trouble is with law enforcement here in the Pacific Northwest. Steve, thanks for the call from Tukwila. You've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. And now. Then we're going to. 
to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Tuesday on the Radio Northwest Network. Our Twitter poll or X poll today, if you want to call it that. Should states make driver's ed mandatory for all those under the age of 24? I would say no to the question. Uh, there are a bunch of reasons for that that I've explained a moment ago. But now the Washington State Traffic Safety Commission says the majority of drivers involved in crashes in which somebody is hurt or killed are 21 to 24 years age, 70%. Uh, of those who got into the serious car crashes had not taken driver's ed. So they just say, well, let's just make it mandatory. There are a lot of detailed questions on that, but most of the schools have dropped driver's ed as part of their curriculum because they can't afford it. They had to divert all that money over to, you know, teaching uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, critical race theory, uh, gender pronouns, and things like that. So you can find the Twitter poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or X, or you can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. And join me in welcoming to the program a good friend of the program, I think I can call him, Ben Edel is the former candidate for Oregon's uh, 19th Legislative District and founder of a new group called the Republican Unity Caucus. Ben, welcome back. Lars, thank you so much for having me on. What an honor. Well, I, I have my arguments with the GOP. Thank you for that. But um, I'm glad to see a Unity Caucus, if by that you mean we're going to have some actual conservatives and we're going to start separating out the wheat <laughs> from the chaff when it comes to Republicans. Is that the basic idea? That's the basic idea. When you go to ruckpack.org, the first thing you're going to see is the future of Salem with beautiful flowers at the Capitol. And right below that, it says it's time for a new establishment. And that's exactly what the Ruck Pack is looking to do. The Republican Unity Caucus is not unity with the establishment Republicans who have completely failed for the last ten, two, three, four decades uh, to get balance in this state. Um, it's not unity with them. It's the actual opposite of that. We're unifying with the Republican parties across the, the state, 36 counties of Republican parties who have been starved with, with, without any cash, without any resources, and thereby without any influence. And the establishment Republicans right now are literally not listening. Everything we say is on deaf ears, and it's time to replace a few of them so that we can all uh, take the House in 2024, and that's what the Rug Pack is doing. Is it's a it's a it's a caucus of legislative candidates like myself. I am running in House District 37 uh, for 2024, and we are the Freedom People, and we're bringing in our own money, and we're trying to take away that draw to work with the current establishment, um, that financial draw. You okay, because because I had to tell you, Ben. Uh, one of the big frustrations I have is that Republicans take one of two courses. They, they will say, well, we'll, we'll act as much like Democrats as we possibly can, like mm -hmm. run candidates, uh, for governor who've given up on a whole bunch of conservative points of view, thinking if we act as enough like Democrats, maybe we'll get to be uh, elected. But then all you get is rhinos in office if it works. And usually it doesn't work because for every person you add, because you're acting like a progressive, you end up losing a bunch of conservatives who say that guy or gal is not a conservative. And, and, and the Republican Party, they're, they're almost impossible to communicate with, Ben. And I say that not out of ego, because 
when the Republican Party doesn't, you know, do, isn't willing to come on the show, isn't willing to answer questions, it actually makes my job easy. No comment from the Republican Party. That's a snap. Now, you know, well, whereas the Washington State Republican Party is always willing to talk, even when we give them a hard time about a position they've taken on one thing or another. So the Oregon Republican Party doesn't even want to talk to conservatives for the most part. They don't because they're not conservatives. What you have to understand is that this isn't about Republicans and Democrats anymore, okay? This is a whole other era in our, in our nation. This is about progressives versus libertarians. And within the Democrat Party, you even have progressives and libertarians. And in the Republican Party, you also have progressives and libertarians. And I'm a member of the libertarian sector of the Republican Party. I believe in the First and Second Amendment, uh, among others. I believe in the Bill of Rights and pre in preserving the Bill of Rights. And we're not preserving the Bill of Rights when we're implementing the Green New Deal, destroying our energy infrastructure, adding DEI into all of our schools, making our kids literally graduate with, you know, knowing 60% of them know math or reading and, and writing. This is crazy. We're destroying things in our state. And then the worst part of it is, is the progressive Republicans who are in control of all the resources in Salem for Republicans, for the Republican Party, are literally helping these bills to get passed. And yep. so it's, it's baffling that we've allowed them to remain our representatives because it's time now to throw them out. This is the primary season. This is what the primary season is for. And we are going to be primarying a number of some of the biggest names in the Republican Party in Oregon. Now, let me ask you this, because this would be a threat if you say we're going to run candidates in the primaries to primary some of these rhinos out. Will you also say, will Ruckpack actually take a position and tell people, in this race, we don't have a candidate running, but this re Republican is worth supporting, that one is not? Because that would be valuable, too. When it comes to ballot time, I get people asking me, well, you know, the, out of these two legislative races, which one, you know, should I vote for? Uh, yeah. Either in the primary, which which one's the real conservative, or in the general, when they say, is that Republican worth supporting? And, and, you know, I understand if you say, well, don't support them, then the Democrat's going to win. But would it be a better victory to get a rhino elected rather than have a, a, a Democrat take the seat? In some ways, it'd be better to take a crazy Democrat, put him in, and then run a real candidate against them the next time. I couldn't agree with you more, Lars. And yes, we are going to run. We are going to put out a statement about every single candidate in the general and in the primary um, and let voters know, look, we're in this work every day. Voters aren't. We, we really know what's really going on behind closed doors in Salem. And I'll tell you that it's, it's disgusting. The corruption uh, from both the, from the leadership of both parties is absolutely abhorrent. We've never seen anything like it in our state history, okay? And you can just look outside. Uh, as you're in the Portland metro area, so am I. We can see outside what the corruption is doing. This is a massive government grift. Uh, the homelessness is a government grift. All of this, the, the Green New Deal is a government grift. DEI is a government grift. And there's, they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars that are Literally. going into uh, C4s and C3s and PACs uh, from the federal government and the state government, and um, it's just furthering the grift, and we have to stop it. And, and both part leadership of both parties are highly involved in it. Well, and, and think about the fact that you've got a governor elected by illegal cyber, stolen cyber money, illegally contributed to her campaign, nothing is done. Uh, Democrat, top Democrat officials getting sacks of cash, and, and yep. nothing is done. Nobody gets prosecuted, nobody gets charged, and so that's their side. And then the Republicans say, oh, but we're different. I don't think we're so. We're not different because Vicki.
Nikki Bree Syverson, who is the House Minority Leader, also took cash from LaModa. They, she took the same cash Kotek and Wagner took. Yep. That's why she stepped down. And the Willamette Week reported on that, and somehow that's just been forgotten. I mean, this is, it, it is so bad in Salem right now, so bad, that I urge every single Oregonian to set aside the R's and the D's right now and vote for people who are going to clean up the mess. Absolutely. Ruckpack. It's spelled R-U-C-P-A-C. It's ruckpack.org. That's Ben Edel, its founder, also running in the 19th Legislative District. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Coming up in a moment, San Francisco just does not get the message. They're actually blaming homelessness on capitalism. We'll get to that in your phone calls in a moment. Hey, I hate if with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all the capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ever wonder what a vegan actually is? They say cows are bad for the environment because all they do is eat plants and fart, just like vegans. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'm convinced that one of the cities in America that just does not get it has to be San Francisco. And lately, there's a brand new set of comments from one of the city supervisors. That's uh, what you'd call a city council member in any other part of America. His name is Dean Preston. This is a guy who actually blames homelessness in America's fifth biggest city on capitalism. I want to get into the details of that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to join the conversation, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Uh, if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. Uh, no exceptions to that. We've followed the naysayers go first rule for about 26 or 27 years. Um, and we take it seriously. If you really have an argument in which you believe that this guy is right, that capitalism is the problem, that capitalism causes homelessness, that arresting people uh, for being involved in drugs uh, doesn't do any good, this is a guy who also believes in defunding the police department. So he's, even for San Francisco, he is more than just a little bit crazy liberal. But again... We'll get into that in a moment. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you care to, we'd love to have you vote in our Twitter poll. We put up a brand new question of the day every day, and you'll find it two places, on Twitter or X, at Lars Larson Show, and on our website at LarsLarson.com. Just vote once, please. Uh, don't vote twice. That's for liberal shows. But this guy, Dean Preston, who holds the title of District 5 Supervisor, this is a guy who's a complete piece of work. 
He has called for defunding the police. Well, we've already seen, if you've been paying attention at all, what happens when you defund the police in cities around America. In fact, one of the first cities to actually hear that rallying cry from the mob out in the streets, defund the police. When Minneapolis tried it, they saw the result, and to some extent, they, uh, they decided to go the other direction. He also claims that the city's homelessness problems are the, absolutely the result of capitalism. He also says that it's counterproductive to arrest people who are openly doing illegal drugs. Now, his district happens to involve uh, or include the Tenderloin District, which is known for its open-air drug market. Almost half of the city's homeless population has lived in this guy's district as, as of yet last year. So Dean Preston has a huge amount of illegal drug activity, which he defends. He has a huge amount of the homeless population, about half of the population of homeless in the entire city. And what he's done is he's argued that his district in particular has been affected by homelessness because of America's economic structure. Now, I've heard arguments like this from callers before. They'll say, well, you know, capitalism's the problem. Is that how in the world is capitalism the problem? Capitalism supplies what people need and what people want. And I'm careful to divide out what you need from what you want. And many people are persuaded to buy things they don't actually need because they want them. But he says that the city's inconsistent approach to actually arresting people for using drugs and sweeping homeless encampments is completely counterproductive, that there's a better way to do it. He says, this method has not made our city any safer, has actually made it less safe, and it increases overdoses. So when you go in and you do drug law enforcement, and you say you can't sell these drugs, you can't buy these drugs, you can't use these drugs, his argument is that actually makes people more at risk, and it actually increases the number of overdoses, which I just think is insane, but I may get a, a naysayer on that point. He's downplayed concerns from the people who live in the district who are not homeless, who are not using drugs. He says, oh, no, no, that's no big deal. And he's also said that San Francisco should continue to defund law enforcement. He got a lot of backlash because he had proposed a law that would ban security guards from drawing their weapons for property crimes at a time when retailers and residents were running from the city, fleeing the city over public safety concerns. And then here's what he said. He says that... Um, Elon Musk is probably the person most responsible for the destruction of San Francisco because of capitalism and because of business enterprises. And I know that there are people who hate folks in the tech sector. I don't happen to be in the tech sector, but, you know, so I really don't have a dog in the fight. But if you look at the people, whether I like their politics or not, I absolutely despise the politics of Bill Gates. But I'd be crazy if I didn't say that Bill Gates has not only built a massive technology company. He's made lots and lots of people into billionaires, into millionaires, multi-multi-millionaires. And of course, there are all the other people who work for his business enterprises who would not have those jobs if it weren't for his capitalism. So it's one of those ideas I find just absolutely crazy. But let me go first to Jeff, who's listening, and, and see what Jeff has to say. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks, Lars. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. Hey, I'm down here in Southern Oregon, and uh, I'm actually in the construction trade, heating and air conditioning to be exact. Uh, 
I have to comment, though. I think that capitalism in the form of um, multiple rentals, uh, aside from primary residences for people, are are getting, like, out of control, and uh, there should be a limitation on, I think, that a person that has more than two or three rentals could could be higher taxed in order to have uh, well, only a handful of people on. own Jeff, all the Jeff, homes. Jeff, hold on a second. If if sure. you if you say so if if somebody owns and I don't have I own a house that Tina and I live in but I don't have any rentals so I don't have a dog in the fight why would you put how would it benefit anybody to put a limitation on the number of rental homes that somebody could own Well um I I got firsthand experience that the maintenance happens to go down and the value goes or I mean the uh, cost goes up uh the value however remains the same so uh, it's putting it's putting the cost of a regular family home out of out of reach from a lot of middle to maybe lower class. So and you're blaming you're blaming. Hold on, just so I understand, you're you're blaming. I hate the word blame, but let's not well, go there. Well, why not? If you say the I reason can, the cost can I, can I of housing is include the people, yeah. Well, blame. Okay. Because, let's call it what it is. I mean, why sugarcoat it? You're going to blame the people who buy housing and rent it to people. What about the people who can't own a house and they need to rent a house? Who's going to supply that if you say we're going to punish you if you supply that service to people by saying you're going to pay higher taxes because you're an evil landlord? How does that benefit anybody? Well, uh, taxes get distributed whether I like it or not, and so those taxes could be distributed in order to assist. Oh, you want you want you want the government to come in and put a gun to people's head, take their money, and give it to somebody else? Isn't that what you want? Well, maybe Lars, I don't want to get that flared up. Maybe I won't be a long-time listener if you. Well, no, I'm 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 trying to see your your pussyfooting around it, and what I'm saying is, you say, well, we need to go to those people who own rental housing and provide a service for people in an open marketplace other than the government's involvement in it, which tends to screw things up, and you want to take their money away and have that the government give, which is taken at the point of a gun, and give to people who haven't earned it. Can you tell me why that would work out better? Well, not a give. I'm, I'm more concerned like maybe a loan that is a, a, a controlled, not a not a private sector a loan. So you want to make the government the biggest lender of... Oh, okay, just that's an interesting idea, but unfortunately we're up against the break. But Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio the Northwest Lars Larson Show. Someone has a plan for illegal aliens. Back in the White House, I will terminate every open borders policy of the Biden administration and begin the largest deportation operation in American history. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I want you to call the show, 866-HEY-LARS. If you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter or X poll you'll find that at lars larson show and on our website as well it's a real pleasure to welcome back to the program congressman ben klein who is a republican representing virginia's sixth congressional district and who has said because there are few members of congress who've said it as bluntly the broken border that joe biden has created congressman welcome back 
Lars, good to be with you. Are things getting worse on the border, if that's even possible to imagine? Yes, it's a catastrophe on levels we haven't seen ever before at our border. It's a humanitarian crisis, uh, the drug crisis, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking. It's turning every one of our communities into a border community because uh, these illegals, when they're being flown by DHS, all over the country, um, they are putting burdens on our schools, on our hospitals, on our roads, on our uh, housing. It is it is uh, turning into a giant catastrophe on the level we have never seen. Eight million in, in uh, illegals plus gotaways. That's the population of my home state of Virginia. Uh, the entire state of Virginia uh, has has crossed the border since Biden took office. And and the place where it's most visible is places like New York and Chicago and Philly and Washington, D.C. But it doesn't mean that those pressures you just described are not happening in virtual. In fact, is there is it possible to say there's a state or a major city anywhere in America that's not getting pressured by the arrival of these millions of illegals? No, if you talk to the state troopers who patrol the interstate that's the backbone of my district in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, they will tell you about the unmarked vans that they pull over and what they find inside. Uh, they, they see the sex trafficking, the human trafficking in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. They see in, in the school districts uh, the numbers of ESL teachers increasing, putting greater burdens on the school divisions. Uh, so it is national. Of course, Texas gets the brunt of it. I've, I've been to Texas. I've been to the border. I've been to Arizona. Yuma, where uh, 90% of our uh, winter produce is grown, is experiencing a humanitarian crisis, and it's affecting our food supply because the illegals coming across the border are camping out in the middle of acres of lettuce, for example, and they have to throw out the entire crop of lettuce, the entire crop of whatever other vegetables they're growing. And uh, so it because is, they've got, to put it bluntly, because they, they've got human waste on them, right? right. Well, yeah, that's the law that, that our federal law says if it's touched by uh, someone other than the farmer processing it, then it has to be thrown out. So what are, are your Democrat colleagues on Capitol Hill willing to do anything about this in a meaningful way? I mean, something that actually changes the direction that we've got right now, because you've got, you know, Eric Adams, uh, mayor of New York, saying, well, you know, this is a giant problem for us. But he doesn't call out Joe Biden the guy who's making it possible, because he could call Mayorkas. He could also tell Mayorkas, get the Border Patrol on this, and we're going to send the message, no, don't come into our country. We won't allow it. And as you and I are speaking right now, apparently, reportedly, there's another one of these massive uh, border pushes happening right now with thousands of people showing up at the southern border. And, and last week, we had, what, Tuesday of last week, 12,000 illegals in a single day. And yet your Democrat yeah. colleagues are not willing to do a damn thing about it? The cartels are making more money moving people than they are moving drugs. And that's the point at which we've gotten now. And uh, the Democrats are in their groupthink. They protect their own. So they're not willing to throw Joe Biden under the bus or his policies under the bus or even complain about his policies uh, when but they are willing to uh, negotiate over Ukraine money. And that is uh, what we have held up uh, in exchange for the border. We haven't said we're going to fund Ukraine money, but what we've said is not a dime for Ukraine because we have a border in our country that needs addressing before we can address the borders of Ukraine. 
Congressman Klein is from Virginia, 6th Congressional District. But, Congressman, am I right to fear as an American that if a deal is cut, and they say, okay, we'll give you $14 billion, I think is their ask, on Border Patrol, that all they'll do is take $14 billion and let the Border Patrol become a, an even greater um, facilitator of illegal crossings than they have been already? Because that's what they're that's doing. Absolutely. They're just, is, that's absolutely. So we shouldn't give them a dime, right? We should not be engaged in just upping the money for the current broken system. If all you do is hire more judges and hire more Border Patrol agents, then all you're doing is processing the illegals faster and enriching the cartels even more. So what we need to do is to change our asylum laws, our, the, the laws that enable these illegals to be released into the interior of the country. We have to uh, uh, the ban the catch and release. We have to reinstate remain in Mexico, which is, essentially says when you're uh, claiming a bogus asylum claim, uh, which, you know, when you just claim you want a better life, you want a job, that's not grounds for asylum. So you should wait in Mexico until that claim is rejected. Most of the claims are rejected. and But by the time they're rejected, they go to tell the person, no, you have to leave the country. Well, they of course they don't leave. Then they just vanish into the interior of the country, and uh, and, and they're still educated in our schools, and they're still uh, putting pressure on our, our housing markets and our and our job markets. But uh, what we need to do is to reestablish, remain in Mexico. And those are the types of um, parts of the bill, H.R. 2, that we passed very early on this year and the Senate has been sitting on that we're demanding that the Senate now act on before anything else, including Ukraine money, can be considered. Is that going to get them to, do, to act, Congressman? They finally realized we were serious. Um, we're coming up on the Christmas holiday. We're going to leave on Thursday, and uh, they're apoplectic that they're not going to get their Ukraine money. They had Zelensky here today, and he's been told he, he went home empty-handed, didn't he? Speaker. Yeah, yeah, he, he got said stiffed. He was told by the speaker, "Nope, not going to get it." I'm glad to see him get stiffed. I don't want to send more money to a notoriously corrupt place where the president and his criminal family have been involved. And speaking of that. Tomorrow there's going to be a vote on the impeachment inquiry. Your prediction on where that's going to go? You know, Republicans are united because of the stonewalling of the Biden administration. Uh, there were some who were concerned that the facts might not be weighty enough, even huh. though Joe Biden has been proven to have received a quarter of a million dollars from his son and his brother's uh, multi, uh, uh, multiple businesses, but also uh, money from Chinese affiliates of the Chinese government. Uh, $20,000 for the big guy. But uh, even beyond that, uh, this is just about compliance with subpoenas. At this point, we have been engaged in an impeachment inquiry, but the Biden administration has said no dice. You didn't vote on it, so we're not going to follow your uh, orders. Well, the courts are going to look to see whether there was a vote. When we take them to court, the, the judge is going to say, was there a House vote? And now we're going to be able to say, yes, there was, judge give us the documents, and the, and the judge will order the administration to hand over Joe Biden's bank records and other documents. Congressman, it concerned me when Speaker Mike Johnson said, well, we don't have enough yet, and that was a couple of weeks ago. But you don't have enough. You've got millions of dollars flowing, $24 million to the Biden crime family. Uh, you know, as you said, at least a quarter million to Joe personally, millions to his son who didn't pay taxes on it, uh, and, and all of this. And that's not enough to impeach a president for high crimes and misdemeanors? Hey, I, I think uh, you right before high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution, it says bribery. Um, I think that's the... Uh, actual charge that you need to look at for this president. And we're going to follow the facts where they lead on judiciary. 
and I stand ready, as does Chairman Jim Jordan and the rest of us, uh, Chip Roy and, and Thomas Massey and all the rest of us on judiciary to consider those facts, but we think they are weighty at this point. Um, and we look forward to getting the rest of the documents so that uh, this can draw a direct line between the Chinese government, uh, co- companies affiliated with the Chinese government, and Joe Biden. Absolutely right. Congressman Ben Klein from Virginia's 6th Congressional District. Congressman, thank you. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And naysayers, go to the head of the line on the Lars Larson Show. Hey, I've got a hum- with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. A message from Lars. I'd like to apologize to anyone I've not offended yet. Please be patient. I'll get to you shortly. Who's next? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday. Always glad to take your calls and vote in our X poll. Should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24? And if you're thinking, who came up with that crazy idea? That would be the Washington State Traffic Safety Commission saying the majority of drivers involved in fatal crashes are 21 to 25 years old. They also found that if they didn't take driver's ed, they had about a 70% higher level of crashes than involved people getting hurt or killed. Should the state make driver's ed mandatory for those under 24? No. And I've explained why. Today's Twitter poll can be, or X poll, can be found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Stacy is on the line listening on the Radio Northwest News, uh, uh, on the Radio Northwest Network in Kaiserkistan. Hey, Stacy, how are you? I'm good, Lars. How are you? I'm doing very well. What's on your mind today? Well, Lars, I'm a corrections nurse in Oregon where drugs are legal, and I just have to say they need to be illegal. Those people need to be arrested, go to jail, and the police need to be funded. I would agree with you. And frankly, Stacy, I'd be happy if the people were arrested and charged with a crime and showed up in front of a judge, and the judge said, we won't we will convict you of a felony. We will not send you to prison or jail right away if you're willing to go into treatment. And if you'll do that and stick with it for a year, uh, which has been the the, uh, the offer they've made to drug addicts and drug users for, for the last several decades until Measure 110, uh, then at the end of the year, we'll wipe out the felony conviction. You won't have that on your record. I'd be happy if they didn't spend any time in custody. 
uh, and if they did spend the time busting their habit. What do you think of that approach? Well, in jail, they do get the meds to help them withdraw from drugs and alcohol. Of course, drugs are in jail, but when they get busted for getting them in jail, they do get additional charges. The thing about rehab, when the judge says, you know, you have to do rehab, they call this 1-800 number. They ask them, you know, do you want to do rehab? If they say no, that clears them, and they've met that, the That's the current Measure 110, Stacy. I want to go back to the old school. The old school until Measure 110 was you get a felony charge for possession, you show up in front of a judge, and they hold what's called drug court. They process dozens of people through. They say, do you want to go to trial and go to jail and get a felony record, or do you want to go to treatment? And people say, I'll go to treatment. Fine, we'll put the felony on your record now. You stick with treatment for a year, we take it off. That's a really fair deal, and that's a really fair quid pro quo, isn't it? Uh, the, 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 what you described, calling the number and having them forgive the $100 ticket, that's measure 110. That's the disaster we're in right now. I agree 100%. I think that this homelessness and the drugs and everything, they need to fund the police, open the dorms and all the annexes that are not open in the jails because they don't have the funding to staff them, and they need to make drugs illegal and start busting people. That would help with the drug problems. That would help with the homelessness, and we need to get back to the way things work because right now it's just crap. I could not agree with you more. Stacy. thanks for the call. I, I'm glad to get it. Let's go to uh, let's go to Craig. Hey, Craig, thanks a lot for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hello, Lars. Um, I'd like to respond to that gentleman who called in that uh, landlords should be restricted and how, man, how many units they can buy or be taxed more heavily. Yep. I've been a small landlord for years. I just own a duplex now, but I'd like to ask him if he's ever cleaned up after pig tenants who left trash, messes, flea infestations, dealt with crazy tenants that were uh, potentially violent uh, and, and had to pay them to move out. Okay? I and, guarantee you he has you not. And, and, Craig, I'm with you. I used to be a landlord decades ago. I had one duplex, like you do. And, and you're right. Most of the people who talk that way, and do you know what they're going to be up against if they make uh, being a landlord impossible for mom and pops who currently provide, as I understand the numbers, the majority of rental houses and rental units in America is, is mom and pops like you, like I was. And uh, you know who it's going to be? Major corporations. And when you go to the corporation and say, could you, could you give me a little room on the rent? Nope. Here's the rules. Obey the rules. And if you ever decide you've got a dispute with them, They've got stacks of lawyers. They've got stacks of, of bureaucracy. And that's what you're going to be up against, as opposed to mom and pops. Tell me, Craig, in your time as a landlord, a small landlord, have you ever made an exception for a tenant that you found you could trust? You say, okay, you can be five days late on the rent, or you can be ten days late, or I'll make, a, I'll make some accommodations. Have you made those accommodations over the years? Uh, I just did one for three days late because I have a tenant that's extremely hardworking, fixes a lot of stuff, doesn't hardly charge me for it, and he's operating his own uh, sprinkler fitting business. And I love my tenants. I loved my tenants, too. And I always got along well with them. And the only time I ever got stiffed and had to go to court for an FED it was one of the worst experiences of my life, and I thought it was a gigantic waste of time and money. But if people wonder, well, gee, if a giant corporation owns most of the rental housing, how do you suppose it'll be different? 
It's the difference between walking to a store where the man or woman behind the counter owns the store and has customers and develops trust and a big faceless corporation. If people really want to go that route, I don't think it's going to work out very well for them. Craig, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. Glad to get your calls on a Tuesday. 866-HEY-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show is brought to you by NickShivers.com. For an instant offer to sell your home, go to NickShivers.com. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. It is, after all, the Radio Northwest Network, and we're glad to take those calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, and I may get a few on this subject, 866-439-5G. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. And today's Twitter poll, I may have to ask Senator John Braun about this, but the State Highway Traffic Safety Commission in Washington State is now proposing that driver's ed be mandatory for anybody under the age of 24. They don't give all the details, but I can see about 10 different ways for that to go wrong. But in the meantime, glad to have you with me. Glad to take your calls. Um, Senator Braun, welcome back. Hey, before we get to that other issue that I may just throw in your lap, I want to know about this. The Democrats and the ACLU have now decided to wage war on citizens who want to gather petition signatures in Washington state. Uh, they're doing it by saying we're going to set uh, your name and location loose so that so-called protesters can show up and harass you. On democracy is how I describe it, and and so they're putting out asking for folks to report the existence of signature gathers, and then they're organizing folks to go to these locations, signature gatherers. And we're not talking about you know just general. We're talking about upfront, in your face, trying to pick an argument so that they can get the signature gatherers thrown out of that wherever they're doing their work. It's it's 100% illegal. 
under current state law. Uh, but what we find is we have an unwillingness by current officials to, to enforce the law. So we propose another law that just says, look, uh, you have to stay back 25 feet. Make it very, very clear. And this is not unusual. We do this in other polling places to make sure people have the right uh, to collect signatures for, for whatever topic they be, they believe in. In this case, it's an initiative to the legislature, but in the next case, it could be something different. This is unbelievable interference with the democratic process. So tell me this, Senator, why is it that law enforcement is saying we're not going to enforce the law, even though there's a law in the books they could arguably use to stop this kind of harassment of people who are engaged in electoral activity? to give the law enforcement the benefit of the doubt here. The fact is that we have, you know, the, the, the legislative majorities and legislative uh, uh, government in our state has for years beat down law enforcement to the fact that we have the fewest number of law enforcement officers per population of anybody in the country. They frankly can't keep up uh, with the work in front of them, is the bottom line. We have a, a runaway and nonviolent crime they are not able to keep up there's not enough of them uh and so i give them the benefit of the doubt they just don't have time or the ability to, to get after this well, I understand the resource problem because that was one of the side effects of all that defund the police nonsense. But I would think if you if you left it up to law enforcement to say, look, when one of these happens and you're not in the middle of a hot call or some other urgent business, could you please stop and just give these people, you know, read these people the riot act? Because I'd agree with you, John, even if even if somebody was gathering signatures for something I disagree with, I don't think the right way to win that is to simply come up and start harassing the person gathering the signatures i've had conversations with people and they stop me and say hey will you sign this petition i'll say what's it about why are you convinced it's going that way in other words i don't try to impede them from gathering uh you know gathering the signatures they want to gather nor do i harangue the people who might say sure i want to sign that i figure they have a right to sign the petition go ahead and do it this is the most anti-democratic anti-american you know behavior that i've heard about in a long time uh, you're 100% right. I mean, why can't the very fact that they are unwilling to debate on the substance of the issue? Uh, if they believe, in, 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 you know, as an example, the one of the initiatives is to repeal the Climate Commitment Act. If they believe that's the right answer, debate on the substance of the issue. Uh, explain to people, working people uh, across the state of Washington, why they think it's okay to imp impose this very regressive uh, authoritarian uh, uh, effort to reduce carbon when better methods uh, exist. Uh, let them explain their position and try and make their case. But don't use harassment. Don't use bullying. Uh, this is the very thing that our, our Democratic friends like to say that they're against, but here they are, their organizations, uh, harassing folks who are just trying to get them to get involved and, and affect government in a positive way. And you know the problem, Senator. My impression of most of the conservatives I know, those involved in politics and those not, is that it's, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's not our style. If I see somebody saying something I disagree with, I might stand and listen to it because they usually, you know, you give them enough rope, they'll hang themselves. They're their own worst enemies. But I don't try to shout them down. But that is exclusively the behavior of people from the left. Uh, w would you agree with me that this is not the kind of behavior you've seen from, from conservatives and Republicans? No, no, I, I would not condone this kind of behavior by anybody, but I don't, we don't have this problem 
uh, with our, uh, you know, Republican supporters attacking, you know, Democratic initiative signature gatherers. It just doesn't happen. What we have is very aggressive uh, groups from the left side of the spectrum who can't make their case in a, in a, in a, you know, a public argument, think they need to bully to get their way because they think they know better about public policy than anybody else and they don't, they shouldn't have to defend themselves. Hey, Senator, I, I put this up as the Twitter poll today. Uh, uh, should dr states make driver's ed mandatory for those under 24? Uh, as I understand the numbers, most of the school districts have either diminished or they've done away with driver's ed. And now you've got the State Highway Traffic Safety Commission saying because most of the accidents involve those 21 to 25 and because 70% of those who had no driver's ed have a higher rate of crashes uh, than those who did have driver's ed. So there's some benefit. Benefit. But now they, they they say that we should make it mandatory and, and then force people to go out and spend five to six hundred dollars to take a private driver's ed course. Do you think that's something that ought to be imposed on people in Washington state? Yeah, this makes no sense to me. Of all the challenges we have in our state, we got plenty of them. I don't know why this is. If you want to get a driver's license today, you have to take the course. You got and you got to go get it. But why do you have to make people? There are lots of of you know young adults that aren't just don't drive you know let them decide you know, I'm personally about freedom if they decide they don't want to drive and they can make their way without it well that's up to them but why would we make them do this they can't get a license can't drive legally without taking the course what what's the point in distracting us from much much bigger problems in our state right now? well see and you know that that says when you're 18 or older drivers that is not legally required so it sounds like the state traffic safety commission wants to impose this as a new requirement so say you didn't have your license and you get to 22 and you realize i need to have a license because of a job or other things and you say okay i'm going to go get a license right now you don't have to take driver's head in this case Department of Licensing is going to tell a 22-year-old, you got to go back and spend 600 bucks, take the course, and until then, you can't have a license. That seems to be what the State Traffic Safety Commission wants, although all the details of their little proposal are not out yet. That's Senator John Braun. Senator, thank you very much. Glad to take your calls in just a moment at 866-A-LARS. And we'll tell you how Joe Biden is trying to turn out the lights on the entire United States. You've got the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. And now... 
this musical message to anyone who wants to indoctrinate our school children. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. I got to tell you about this. The Joe Biden administration is trying to turn out the lights, literally and figuratively, across America. And I'm going to give you two specific things that Biden has done in the last week or so. They were announcements made at what's known as COP28, the conference in Dubai, you know, where all the elites fly in on their private jets and then lecture the rest of the world about how we can't use fossil fuels, we can't burn coal, can't burn natural gas, can't do any of that. But I want to give you the specifics so you understand that when I say Joe Biden plans to turn out the lights on the United States, I don't mean that as any kind of exaggeration. I'll give you the details in a moment. First, welcome to the program. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be one of our beloved naysayers, you know, somebody who calls in and says, no, it's a good idea to turn out all the lights in America. We're better off living out without energy. We're better off consigning our future to our energy future, at least to communist China, because Joe and his crime family made so much money from the chai comms that Joe has to pay that off somehow. But this is crazy. 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go first. If you want to send me an email, that's easy. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our Twitter poll, we now call it the X poll. You can find it at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter if you prefer. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. So our friend, the economist Steve Moore, writing on the New York Post editorial page, he made the point that last week, uh, I told you a few things about the COP28 conference in Dubai. Most notable was that the current president of the organization, COP28, um, is from uh, Emirates. And he's actually the head of their, uh, their oil industry. And he had said, hey, show me the plan. Kind of like the Beatles did in the song Revolution. He said, you want to get rid of all this fossil stuff, not burn natural gas, not burn coal, not burn oil, not diesel oil, not gasoline, any of that. Show me the plan because you don't have a plan that doesn't land all of us back living in caves. Now, you might have thought of that as a little bit of hyperbole. I don't think it is. It's not hyperbole at all. So what do they plan to do? Two specific things. Team Biden, as Steve Moore calls it, and Steve's right about this, Team Biden said we will stop production of all new coal-fired electric plants in America. And that's not an exaggeration at all. The Biden administration said, and they did it over a weekend, they are committed to phasing out coal-fired electric plants nationwide and that not a single new coal plant will be built in America. Now... What Steve points out, and he's right, uh, I've said for years that the chai comes uh, because they understand where energy comes from and that to have a modern industrial uh, society like they are developing, like we already have, um, that you have to have electricity. And you might wonder, well, don't they use their windmills and don't they use their solar panels? Oh, they put up a certain number of wind farms. They put up a certain number of, of uh, solar panels as well. I mean, after all, if they're made in China, you'd expect China to be one of the biggest users of solar panels. No, 
No, they don't want to use them. They understand you can't begin to generate the amount of power that a country like China needs from solar panels and windmills, even though they make most of them. No, they want to sell that junk to us. What they're building right now is they are starting roughly one new coal-fired electric plant a week. In some weeks, they start two, construction of two of them every single week. They have been for years. They plan to continue for years. So if you ask, well, who makes these solar panels and windmills? The Chinese. What are they using for energy? Coal. What is America promising under Joe Biden? He is doing this unilaterally, signing a proclamation that says we won't allow a single additional coal plant to be built. We will phase out the ones we're already using. And at the same time, it goes without saying that the president is committing that where America is sitting on enough coal to be able to supply our needs for about the next couple of hundred years. I'm not exaggerating. That's the amount of coal deposits that we know we have and coal that we know we can get to. They don't want it sold to foreign countries. They don't want Americans to use it. They're simply going to say, we're going to sit on all that fuel that God blessed this country with, and we're going to use the Chinese communist windmills and solar panels that won't do the trick. But the second thing that happened, Vice President Kamala Harris, we sometimes call her Kamala Hamas these days because of her politics, she said, we will have rules to sharply reduce methane. Well, you say, methane? I don't use any methane. Well, if you have any kind of natural gas in your home, you use methane, except you don't call it methane, you call it natural gas. The Biden administration calls methane, or natural gas, a super pollutant, because they say it's many times more potent than carbon dioxide. That's natural gas. So you get methane as a byproduct from burning natural gas. If you eliminate that, the one thing that we could use to back up wind and solar, because wind and solar don't work without backup power, even if you truly believe in wind and solar, I don't believe it can be the main energy source of this country. The numbers don't pencil out. But even if you believe that, and somebody says to you, but Lars, the solar panels only generate power an average of eight hours every day. That's when the sun is shining. A little longer in the summertime, a little shorter in the wintertime. But that's what you get, eight hours of power a day. Even if you could work out the problem of storing it, you can't generate enough. So what are you going to use as your backup? The backup needs to be natural gas or nuclear, which the Greens are equally against. Well, what they're going to do, they're going to eliminate coal. They're going to eliminate the current coal-fired plants. They're not going to build any new ones or allow any new ones to be built. And they want to eliminate natural gas as a backup source of power for America. So what are we going to get? Rolling blackouts and brownouts around the country. California has already had a taste of this. Other parts of the grid. And I know that when you listen to your local energy gurus, and you say, what happens when we run short of power or a plant goes down for maintenance or, or, or some kind of repair? You say, well, we'll just buy power from somewhere else. But that's the plan of every other state in America. They said, well, we'll just buy from Wyoming. We'll buy from uh, Texas. We'll buy from Oklahoma. The problem is when everybody starts running short, then all of that power that's currently available to buy because it's excess in one state or another, depending on the time of year, the temperature, and a bunch of other factors, it won't be there anymore. So when you find that you're in the middle of the winter and the lights go out 
And you say, but they told me to go all electric. They told me to get rid of my natural gas furnace and put in a heat pump instead. And uh, the power goes out. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there in the dark, in the cold, and you say, what am I supposed to do now? There's nothing you can do because your energy masters, including Joe Biden, have said, don't do this. As much as 60% of America's current electric power generation is going to go away if they do what Joe Biden and Kamala Hamas just promised to do. 60%. Think of it like your paycheck. If energy was like your paycheck, if tomorrow your boss said, I'm going to have to cut your paycheck by 60%, what would you do instead? That's where we're going to be with regard to power. It is a disaster. Joe Biden, while his lights are still on, sort of, is going to try to turn the lights out for the rest of the country. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. ask Lars if he wants to run for public office, like president. Do you know how much power I'd have to give up to be president? This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to jump into the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can always vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that online at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter, if you like it better that way, or on our website at LarsLarson.com. Now, I'm convinced that Sarah Bedford, uh, who's the political investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner, is not writing on the side for the Babylon Bee. But, Sarah, tell me, it's they're really, the Democrats are really seriously going to help out Joe Biden's failing re-election campaign by bringing in Hillary Clinton? Right. It's hard to see how that is a good idea when Hillary Clinton is at this moment the only person in the world who's ever lost an election to Joe Biden, to Donald Trump and uh, has really succeeded or did succeed in 2016 in alienating quite a few uh, swing voters handing Donald Trump the presidency. So why she would be the right person to help revive Joe Biden's efforts to defeat Donald Trump doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. No, and in fact, when you mention, or I think it was NBC News that said that she held a fundraiser at her home in Georgetown. She's got a lot of friends. She invites them to come to her house. That's, that's I guess, for Democrats, a cool thing. I, I'm not sure I'd want to take a, an invitation to her mm -hmm. house. Too many of her close uh, friends and, and uh, compatriots end up dead. But uh, But she raises a million bucks. But she was never any good on the campaign trail, was she? That's never been her strength, certainly. And I think what's so interesting is that, I mean, obviously, tapping into her very large donor network makes sense tactically from the Biden campaign's perspective. But it appears that the role they want her to play goes beyond just providing some of that structural support behind the scenes and extends to public appearances and public advocacy on behalf of Joe Biden, and that really isn't her strength. However, she is, at this current moment, at this point in Joe Biden's career, more articulate than Joe Biden, better <laughs> able to sell 
some of his policies and has a lot more credibility on foreign policy than Joe Biden right now, who has overseen a series of international disasters as president. Hillary Clinton, for what it's worth, is well regarded for her foreign policy chops, having been Secretary of State. So perhaps this is to shore up some of the criticism that uh, that that he has faced for his handling of of Ukraine and Israel. You know, even that one, Sarah. I want to. I've had people call uh, back when she was running against Trump, and I said, "Okay, tell me what she did that was so great." And they said, "Well, she was." First lady, I said, okay, you know, you you can do that. Anybody who can sleep with Bill Clinton can be first lady, I guess. That would include a lot of women, uh, including some who were raped, or at least one who was raped. But when they said she was great at foreign policy, I said, what did she do? And uh, I frequently got people saying, well, she she did two million air miles flying around on one of the nicest jets in the world. It's not Air Force One, but it's close. And I said, but other than that, what did she accomplish? And they usually draw a blank at that point. When people give Hillary Clinton credit for her foreign policy chops, I always want to say, what did she accomplish? I mean, other than a lot of donations to the Clinton Foundation, other than a lot of speaking gigs for her, her uh, family, in particular her husband, what did, she, what did she do to change, you know, to move the needle, to, to actually make anything happen? Can you think of anything that she got done as Secretary of State other than, you know, the personal stuff for her and her family uh, that, that actually meant anything? Well, from Biden's perspective, maybe it's what she didn't do as Secretary of State that is more important, and that's that she didn't get involved or preside over a bunch of chaos and, again, a lot of disasters, <laughs> with the exception of Benghazi, which you could make the argument that that was more President Obama's fault than her fault as Secretary of State, uh, things were at least relatively steady. There wasn't, uh, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine on her watch. There wasn't, you know, this this disastrous war in the Middle East and an emboldened Iran. And there, these things just weren't happening under her watch, so she could perhaps provide that steady hand on the wheel that Joe Biden was supposed to be when he ran in 2020 and he sold himself as, but that, that has never really materialized during his presidency. By the way, Sarah, I think you've got, you've redefined the, the notion of damning through faint praise when you say she's more articulate than Joe Biden. I, I would, I would, I would probably uh, turn the microphone off and retire if somebody <laughs> ever described me as more articulate than Joe Biden, because that is, that's sad. <laughs> I mean, it is less harsh than saying she is more frequently able to construct sentences than Joe Biden, but that is sort of the, the point. And I think that she can be, in a lot of ways, an, an effective surrogate on that. She had a, an interview, for example, on The View a few weeks ago that went viral uh, that was actually a very forceful defense of the Biden administration's policy, and she really kind of schooled the progressive panelists on The View who were sort of asking about, well, what about, you know, Israel's war crimes and the atrocities? And she was really successfully able to shut that down and make a case for why the progressives are simply wrong about uh, calling Israel the aggressor here. And that is maybe necessary for Biden to bring in when he is facing something of a progressive revolt with young voters and very liberal voters turning on him for the fact that he has stood with Israel. I don't know, I, because because when I see the comment that said, if you're picking up the bat phone and calling Hillary Clinton uh, to come help you out, then you know you're in deep, deep trouble. 
But uh, is that the plan to, as you understand it, for her to be out on the campaign trail and giving speeches on Joe Biden's behalf? Well, the reports suggest that she is going to be increasingly more visible starting in January, and that seems to be what they're positioning her for, the Democrats. She has been emerging from her happy retirement to do more public appearances, more interviews, write more op-eds. She can be out there doing her own events across the country, draw her own crowds, however, whatever size they are in relation to Donald Trump. And we saw that in 2016, but she'll still be a draw for Democratic audience, and she can still be out there promoting Biden's message in ways that he is, is, less and less successful at doing himself yeah joe didn't exactly draw crowds during the campaign now did he well he ran a basic campaign in 2020 because of covid and because of his age and for a variety of factors it will be a lot more difficult for him to run another basement campaign but also you know i mean by by his own aides admissions in, in various media reports he has slow down a bit and his schedule does have to reflect the fact that he is an 80 year old man and can't campaign uh like he used to when he was younger so it would be valuable from biden's perspective to have people out there on the campaign trail who can show up in the states that he just simply can't i i guess i just wonder when people tell me she's very popular with women i just want to kind of, what kind of woman is this you know who who says i admire hillary clinton because she's married to an unindicted rapist uh, a molester of of women, uh, a, a man who had no respect or regard, it appears, based on his personal behavior toward Kathleen Willey or Juanita, uh, Juanita Broderick or others. And, and I also wonder whether it will remind a number of people, you ran a fake uh, Russia collusion hoax against Trump. And right after you as Secretary of State had said, we need to have a reset with Russia and didn't exactly handle that well. Sarah, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. That's Sarah Bedford, political and investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner. And it appears that Hillary Clinton may have been called in to help rescue Joe Biden from his own reelection campaign. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest comes time with me on the phone today is david moore with equity advantage david for more than 15 years i've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges but how do you explain it to customers well lars 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point they allow people to exchange out of one property into another keeping their equity intact for example let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one you could sell the property pay the tax or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax is it complicated it can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.
Donald Trump with a warning to Hamas at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back for the program. Glad to be with you. And, uh, oh, uh, we'll have to do that another time, Joel. I appreciate I'm sorry about that. I just screwed up something my associate producer, Joel, was Joel was doing his job. I wasn't. Uh, our Twitter poll or X poll today, should states make driver's ed mandatory for those under the age of 24? Washington State's Traffic Safety Commission is proposing just that. I think it's a crazy idea. But they want to tell people who are under the age of 24 but above the age of 18 when you're currently exempt from having driver's ed in your back. Background to be able to get a driver's license, they want to make it harder for young men and women to get a driver's license on the theory that because a lot of the fatal crashes in the state of Washington are among people between 21 and 25, uh, and that those without driver's ed are involved in 70% higher rate of crashes. I think that's crazy, but you can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to uh, Justin, who's a naysayer. Justin, you know how much we love naysayers. What do you and I disagree about today? Hey, Lars, this is Justin. Hey, uh, I really appreciate your show. I love listening to it. The one thing that I got to disagree with you on is uh, I definitely believe that people need to go and get more experience driving. I, I do road construction for a living, and I lost a co-worker of mine a couple years ago, and um, and I've always been a part of a lot of accidents out on the road, and the biggest thing that we come apart is when people say, hey, this is a work zone, they say, oh, I didn't see no signs, and uh, it just seems like there's a lot of people out there that just don't take uh, road construction very seriously or don't follow the signs. Do you think driver's head uh, fixes that? Uh, I believe that they're in certain circumstances uh, in the way that they teach them that it could definitely help. Now, hold on, Justin, I'm trying to imagine the kid or the young man or young woman who's so completely out of touch that they drive into a construction zone, they miss the big orange signs that tell construction zone, fines double, all that. They miss all of that, but if they had sat in a driver's ed class uh, a year or two before or five years before that, that they noticed the orange signs, is that really something that driver's ed fixes? Uh, well, I would, I would imagine if they showed them some scary pictures of people dying that they might be able to take a little bit seriously. Oh, Death on the Highway. Uh, we had to watch that film 50 years ago. But I, I'm just curious. Now, what you said is that you want to see people take driver's ed. But what Washington State Tra Transportation Safety Commission has proposed is this. Right now, if you get driver's ed, uh, you can get a driver's license up to 18 with driver's ed. After that, you're exempt. So you, you're going to tell me, Justin, just because this seems to be what they're proposing. A young person who's 22 or 23 may have been driving for a couple of years, may not, and now they want to get a driver's license at 22. You're going to tell them, but first you have to go take this $600 course before you can get it? Well, I, would, I wouldn't want to pay $600, but I would definitely, I would think it would be you know, knowing at the end of the day that, hey, they maybe they, if they take this class, they'll take a little bit more seriously. But okay. we know how that, humans are. 
That, that's a worthy point, but, but that's what they're doing. And by the way, the courses, if it's 30 hours of classroom instruction and another six hours of on-the-road driving with an instructor, then I think six, five, 600 bucks is what you're going to end up having to pay. Let's go to John in Lakewood. Hey, John, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? You're welcome, Lars. Um, yeah, I was listening to you talk about uh, how... President Biden wants to make this big proclamation to end the construction of coal-fired electrical plants. Yep. And I'm just wondering, how, how can one man, even a president of the United States, where does he get the authority to just make some sweeping proclamation that affects our energy policy so badly and so seriously? I can tell you in three letters. Consequence. I can tell I you in understand. three letters. E-P-A. But they're not the Congress, and doesn't Congress... No, no, hold on, but John, basically. John, John, the EPA, which was created by the Congress, and I don't like the, the bureaucracy being used this way. This is a perfect yeah. example of the deep state that Donald Trump was at war with for four years, that he will be at war with uh, in January of 25. But what will happen is the EPA will say, uh, okay, you can have a coal-fired plant, and we are going to change the amount of CO2 carbon monoxide, other pollutants, and you say, but if you change those numbers the way you're proposing, we won't be able to build a coal-fired plant, and we won't be able to operate the plant we already have. And EPA is just going to smile and say, yep, that's exactly what Joe told us to do. That's how they would do it. For, ex for example, Washington State has not outlawed natural gas furnaces in homes. You know that? Yeah, uh, well, they're trying to, I believe. No, 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 but but the, in, they haven't actually outlawed natural gas. But what they've said is, if you have a heat source for a brand new house you're building, it must hit these efficiency standards. Do you know the only kind of heating appliance that meets those standards is heat pump? I do not. And, and, and the gas furnaces do not meet the standard. It would be like saying you can build any, elect any gasoline car you want as long as it gets 100 miles to the gallon. John, how many cars are going to be built? Uh, probably none. None. And you said, but we, but you outlawed gas cars. No, we didn't outlaw it. We said you can build, you can have as many natural gas furnaces as you want, as long as they hit certain efficiency standards. And it's being done through the bureaucracy. And Congress is asleep and AWOL. The Lars with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.